Palm Sunday, and, and we look at the story of Jesus walking into Jerusalem and uh, the crowds who were there and the Pharisees from the Gospel of Luke. I want to start by asking this question, which is, what do you do when you welcome somebody, whether it's a guest or maybe you have somebody who's brand new who's working in your office or somebody in your home or you're welcoming a new baby or just welcoming a friend or another family over to dinner. What are some things that you do to welcome people into your house or into your lives? And, and I know everybody here has the right answer. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is uh, get with the smartest three or four people around you and come up with the one or two best answers so we can all learn from you of what is the best thing you can do to welcome somebody into your home. So three or four smartest people around you, uh, start talking with them. What do you do to welcome people into your home? Go. All right, uh, I was a little confused. A, a few weren't participating, so I'm guessing there weren't smart people around you, so not sure what was going on there. But, uh, but we're gonna find out who has the best answers in here this morning. So who's wide awake, ready to go? So uh, what, are, what are some things that uh, you and the smartest three or four people around you decided were the best things you could do to welcome somebody into your home or into your life? What, what, do, you, what do you think, what do you got? Food and drink, there you go. Uh, last night somebody said food and beer, so. <laughs> always good to offer Lutheran beverages, so. <laughs> Give them a hug, there you go. Somebody last night, one of our youth said, high five. That's our youth force. What do you got? Oh, that's awesome, smile, all right. How simple is that? Just a smile. What else? What, what do you got? A gift. a gift. Yeah. Sometimes you welcome people. So if you have somebody new working in the office, a new baby in the home, so there's gifts, things like that. What? Else? What? Clean. Clean. <laughs> Some people are like, no way, I don't do that. So, but yeah, that's a great one. Clean. What else? Yeah. Okay, good, I'm glad you added the second part. So I heard to start, take their stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute, that might not be welcoming, but take their stuff and put it away. So, okay, good, good. Uh, so I don't know how to say this nicely. So take stuff and put away, all right. And then give it back. So what else? Anything else? Give them the best seat, that's right. So the place of honor. Yeah, what do you got? All right, that's all right. Yeah. Of 
Cool, so open the door. Well, they're not coming in without that. So. How about this one? Just greet them. Like, hey, my name is, you're right, you're welcoming, you're greeting, you're talking with them, you're conversing with them, things like that. So, so there are tons of different opportunities, tons of different things that we can do to welcome people into our home, into our lives, into our workplaces. And there are a lot of things that we could do to make sure that they don't feel welcome. And I'm sure if we did the same thing, you could come up with a lot of ways so that people might not feel welcome. As I was thinking about this idea of welcoming someone and Jesus who is coming to Jerusalem and being welcomed, um, I started to realize that uh, animals greet people in different ways. So I have a, two dogs and a cat, and my two dogs and my cat greet people very differently, right? So my cat, when, when, when people come over, uh, our cat kind of just hides, right? Like it does its own thing because you don't own cats, cats own you, right? And, and uh, cats really just, well, I'm sorry, like I'm not a cat person. So like they're kind of pets, but at a distance. And then they do that. They kind of distance themselves, right? And, they, and But dogs, at least our dogs are very different. When you come over, our dogs believe like they've been waiting for you their whole life. Like you are finally here, like praise the Lord. And then they're all over. You're like, like go away, right? Like it's too much where I come home some days and they're like, you are gone forever. It's like, it's been six hours. Like it's okay. You're like, no, we haven't seen like, and, and, but they greet differently. We greet people differently, don't we? And many times we greet people differently based on two things. The way, the how we greet people is oftentimes determined by who they are and why they show up. So for instance, uh, you're going to greet your children differently than a relative that you hoped wouldn't show up for Thanksgiving dinner. You're going to greet somebody that you love differently than a boss who flies in from out of town because something is going wrong in the office and they have to correct it and fix it. You're going to greet somebody who is unwanted, unneeded, uninvited differently than someone that you want to show up because you want them to be there and you want them in your life. Who and why determines how we welcome someone. And we welcome people in different ways. We welcome some people with arms wide open, just inviting them in, saying, come, be a part of our life, be a part of what's going on. We love you and we want you here. To other people, we invite them very differently, right? Stay out. Right? And we see children who put this up on their doors all the time. And this happened in, when I was growing up in our house. I'm the oldest of four, two boys, two girls. And oftentimes my brother and I would go in one room and we'd have a sign telling our sisters, stay out, we don't want you here. Or we'd build a fort in the backyard, right? And no girls are ever allowed in the tree fort in the backyard. And then girls would do the same thing. No boys allowed in here. And so, so you have that sign. And there are times where we do that in our life. We put a sign out for others saying, say, well, we don't want you here. Stay out. Stay out of my life. But there are some times where we do something in between. Where we welcome people in, but we kind of welcome them in conditionally. We welcome them in at arm's length. We welcome them in in some areas of our lives, but not all areas of our lives. We welcome them in conditionally. In Palm Sunday, on Palm Sunday, we see that Jesus was welcomed, but he was welcomed in two very different ways by two very different groups of people. 
And the question we're going to talk about today is what type of welcome does Jesus truly deserve? Not just on Palm Sunday, but each and every day of our lives. If you open up the Bibles in front of you to Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, you can find that on page 878 in your Bibles, Luke chapter 19. As you're looking that up, Jesus is entering to Jerusalem, but this is not the first time Jesus has entered into Jerusalem. Jesus has showed up in Jerusalem before. So why did everything change this time? Well, if you read through the Gospels, you realize that Jesus enters in a very different way, and he enters under different circumstances. Jesus' ministry has really been building up. It's been growing. There's an intensity to what he's doing. He has been teaching. He's been performing miracles. And if you read the Gospel of John, he has just raised Lazarus from the dead. And the Pharisees continually believe that they have to do something about this, where they finally say, you know what, this is it. Like, he's in Jerusalem, we need to take care of him, this is the end. And so there's just this different feeling in the air on on this day as Jesus enters into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday for the Feast of the Passover. And here's what happens. And when he had said these things, Jesus went on ahead going up to Jerusalem When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, two cities that are on the road towards Jerusalem, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where upon entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away went away and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, Jesus sat upon it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. So what we're about to see here is Jesus is preparing to enter into Jerusalem. Is this, this parade almost, you could say. This coronation procession, or that's what the crowd believed it was. That Jesus is coming, and we're going to coronate him the King of Kings. And Jesus brings some of that imagery upon himself. Because each and every other time Jesus has entered into Jerusalem, Jesus has been walking. But this time, Jesus rides. He says, bring this colt to me that I might ride it in. The imagery comes from Zechariah chapter 9, where it says, see your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's a a picture of of this Davidic king, a king in the line of David, who is coming into Jerusalem to reestablish the the reign of Israel in Jerusalem, or so the people thought that's what Zechariah referred to. So they're like, like, is this the one? Is this Jesus? Is is Jesus the the Messiah? Is he the the king of David in the line of David that, that is going to sit on the throne and drive the Romans out and give us rule and reign? And now he's riding in on a donkey, and, and he must be the king. And they believe it's this coronation procession of Jesus who is going to be the king reigning on the throne. But what they see as a coronation procession, Jesus sees as a funeral procession. Because Jesus' eyes have always been set on Jerusalem. In fact, if you go all the way back to Luke chapter 9, you see that in Luke 9 it says, Jesus has set his eyes on Jerusalem. He set his eyes on it. He says, that's where I need to go. That's where this all ends and where everything begins for you. It's Jerusalem. And he sets his eyes on Jerusalem. 
realizing that that is where he is going to go to suffer and die and give his life. Not to be crowned uh, with a gold crown, but to be crowned with a crown of thorns. Not to be seated upon a throne, but to be hung from a cross. So that in that funeral procession, and in the mourning of his disciples, we might know the forgiveness and the new life that is ours. So Jesus enters in, and we're going to see how this parade, uh, this parade develops. Verse 37. It says, as Jesus was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Or you can also translate that. Teacher, dishonor your disciples. Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The first thing I want you to to notice is, notice who was there. Man, many times when we picture Palm Sunday, I think we picture thousands of people outside of the city walls, like the city is emptying of all of those who are on this pilgrimage for, for the feast of the Passover. But that's not what it says here. Do you see in the text who showed up? It says the disciples. And when Luke talks disciples, he doesn't just talk the 12, otherwise he usually says the 12 disciples. So he's probably talking about the greater multitude of disciples. Uh, We see that Jesus sent out at one time 72 disciples, or if you read John chapter 6, it said there were many disciples. Some, when Jesus taught, what he taught, said this is too hard, we're going to turn away, we can't accept this, and they, they walked away. And so there were probably many disciples, but we're not talking thousands of people on Palm Sunday, we're talking maybe 100 people much less than would fit in this sanctuary right now. Maybe less than the number of children we had up front, and that was a huge crowd up front, wasn't that? And less than that. But it was enough that it was drawing the attention of the Pharisees, so they were getting upset about this. But what I also want you to note in this is that there is a word missing from this Palm Sunday celebration that we love to sing. Did you notice the word that's missing in, in the Gospel of Luke? What word is that? Hosanna. Luke doesn't record that they proclaim Hosanna. Now, it doesn't mean that that they weren't. It just means that Luke is focusing on a different aspect of the praises they were singing out. So what is he focusing on? Well, I want you to think about the imagery. You have the colt with the cloaks, which is all Old Testament imagery about the one who is the anointed king. And you have the crowds who have seen Lazarus raised and know there is no one that could have this power but God in heaven. And then you see the palm branches, uh, which are a picture both from the Old Testament all the way through the book of Revelation of those who on the last day will raise palm branches and sing praises to God of the one who comes in kingly honor. The focus in this text is the one who comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That he is the one who brings the kingdom of God into our world. And the fact is, is that the crowds and the Pharisees and the people at that time, they totally missed the point of why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to be the king of kings on a throne, but the king of kings on a cross. He didn't come to put others to death, but to be put to death. He didn't come to battle Rome, but to battle our greatest enemy, which is sin, death, and the power of hell. Jesus came to give up his life so that we may have life. And the Pharisees, they don't like that they are proclaiming him to be king. So they say, say, tell him to quiet down. The Romans might hear, and people might get upset, and, and we don't want more people joining this. They're a little bit concerned about the Romans. They're concerned about their own power. 
And we see here how two very different crowds welcome the same person in two very different ways. And Jesus says, you know, if these disciples were silent, well, creation's just going to cry out because faith can't help but sing out the praises of God. It can't. Faith cannot help but share about the one who comes to save us from our sins. And yet, Jesus was welcomed in two very different ways, which should cause us to ask the question of, how do we welcome Jesus into our lives? How do you welcome Jesus into your life? Do you welcome him with loud praises and hosannas for all to hear, or do you welcome him at arm's length? Do you welcome him into all areas of your life and say, Jesus, change me, mold me, shape me, renew me, redeem me, take all that I am and make it all that you want it to be? Or do we say, Jesus, you could come into this area of my life, but, but stay away from this. Jesus, you could come in and, and help me and heal me or, or, or help my children, or help, but, but don't tell me what to do with my time. Don't tell me to do what with my money. I don't want to hear those things. And we're like, Jesus, I'll welcome you, but only into certain areas of my life. Because there's so many times that you and I, we welcome Jesus conditionally into our lives as long as he doesn't encroach on the things that we value the most. And when he does, we kind of want to push him away. And yet, even in the places of our life where Jesus is not welcome, Jesus is undeterred from entering into them. In fact, there, there's a beautiful phrase. We actually see it in the very next verse as well, where it says, and then Jesus, he drew near and saw the city, and he began to weep over it. There's a two-word phrase. It's one word in the Greek, a two in the English, that is repeated three times in this gospel. Not in any of the others when it comes to Palm Sunday, but three times in this gospel, which is so significant to the message that Luke is delivering to us on this Palm Sunday. You can find it in verse 29 when it says, And Jesus drew near to Bethpage and Bethany. In verse 37. And as Jesus drew near already on the way down to the Mount of Olives. And then in verse 41. And then Jesus drew near and saw the city. Do you see that two-word phrase? Did you hear it? Jesus drew near. On his way into Jerusalem, Jesus drew near to Jerusalem. And then... He drew near to the cross. He drew near to those who would betray him. He drew near to his disciples who drew near to Judas, the one who would dip his hand in the cup with him. He drew near to those who would crucify him. And Jesus drew near to you. He, he didn't stand at a distance, far off, and watch. Jesus came to draw near to you to enter into your lives, to enter into your families, to enter into your workplaces. Jesus drew near to you because this is his great love for you. He is saying there is no aspect of your life that I don't want to draw near into, that I don't want to enter into. I don't want just part of you, I want all of you. I came to save you from your sin and your brokenness, from your waywardness. 
And Jesus draw near into your questions, into your concerns, into your criticisms, into your brokenness, into your stress. He draws near into your anxiety and your depression. He draws near into your sickness and your pain. He draws near into your hopelessness. He draws near into all aspects of your life so that in drawing near to you, you might draw near to him. I love how the writer of the book of Hebrews says this. Would you read these words with me this morning? On the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Isn't that an amazing picture? He says that Jesus draws near to you so that you might draw near to him in his hope, in his salvation, in his grace, in his forgiveness, in your waywardness, in your loss. Jesus draws near to you. When you reject him and push him away, Jesus draws near to you. And this Easter, you and I, we have the opportunity to welcome into our family here at Grace those that God draws near to him. Because uh, during Easter, we're going to have a lot of guests, a lot of people who come more occasionally than often, people who are tired, weary, struggling. We'll have people here who are curious, confused, uncertain, doubting, questioning, or are open, seeking something that would change their lives. And you and I have the opportunity to welcome others to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because God is drawing them near and God is drawing near to you. So that's what Easter is all about. Not a God who stands far off, but a God who enters into your pain and brokenness. So be prepared because the King comes to welcome you. Lay down your cloaks, lay down your struggles, lay down your brokenness, lay down your pain, for the King draws near to you. Lift up your palm branches and your voices and your praises and your joy, for the King comes to draw near to you to save you from your sin. And be ready, because as He draws near, He welcomes you into a life that is like no other life and a life that nothing in this world could ever offer to you because the King draws near to you to welcome you home into his family so that we as the people of God can celebrate the life that we have in the one who draws near to you today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.